from Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program on this Monday morning. Hope that you are having an excellent last week of January and are enjoying the weather out there. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful morning in Johannesburg. And we've got a beautiful, beautiful show uh, for you, as we always do. Uh, we're going to be covering all the major news items. has been a very, very busy week. Of course, we're going to be finding out uh, about the ICJ and what's going on in The Hague with regards to uh, Israel-South Africa relations. going to look at community news um, and all of these things. But first, before we do that, I'm happy to say we have an awesome, interesting guest in the studio. Uh, his name is Ronen Dorfman, and he's a journalist from Israel, lives in Hungary. Uh, and he's out here covering some of the issues that are affecting our community. So we thought we'd get him into studio and chat to him about what his visit was like. Ronen, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on Chai FM. Nice, uh, nice to have I'm only one week in South Africa, and I'm on Chai FM. This is uh, crazy. There you go. So he's clearly doing your job. You know where the, where the news is. Um, so, Ronen, uh, give us a bit of background because although it's your uh, one week in South Africa, you're, you're, you're not necessarily completely uh, alien to South Africa as a concept. No, um, I have roots here. My parents were born here. Most of their parents came from Lithuania. Some of their parents were even born here. Uh, my parents left the country in 61. This is my third visit. I've, uh, I visited here during apartheid in 83, then for the World Cup as a sports journalist, and now... But yes, South Africa was kind of a virtual thing in the background, you know, the talks of holidays in Musenberg and waiting for a relative to bring Bultong from South Africa and, you know, and, and a lot of, uh, I'll tell you a funny one, I was telling people in Hungary, trying to help them with their English, that the traffic light is called a robot, which is only South African. I never knew this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so you, you, you managed to mis, um, m- mis-educate a whole bunch of Hungarians yes, on the same basis. Yes, yes. So that's, that's sort of the English I grew up on at home was, uh, was, robots. was South African. Also, Bri, very late in life, I didn't understand that Americans and English don't use this. Well, there you go. Um, So, Ronan, you actually are a sports journalist by profession. That's your that's your background. That's what you cover most of the time. It's not a profession. It's uh, it's what you do. It's an occupation. (laughs) But it's your focus. I mean, you're not. Yes, no, no. I mean, yeah, it's what I make a living from mostly. Yes, in journalism. And 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 and, uh, again, like sports, South African sports and sports that you might cover in Hungary or Israel. I'm assuming are rather different. It's mostly soccer, right? Very different. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't. Uh, they don't correlate. And the whole uh, unbelievable legacy of South African Jewish sport is foreign to Israelis. Absolutely. You, you, names like Stransky or or, or or Jody Schechter or Ali Bachar just mean nothing to the Israeli sports fan. Schechter, sure, it's Formula One. That right. that is follow, but it's a bit old now. So. You know, you know who was famous in Israel? 
Sean Thompson because because uh, because uh, yeah because surfing is done in Israel and it's yeah. international among surfers but it, but he was a name when I when I grew up so well, that, that is actually fascinating yes. <laughs> Sean Thompson of all people should be a South Africa it is interesting I did read once that the first cricket pitch that had ever been created in Israel was created by by South Africans that came in in in, in 48 which was uh, very Yes, yeah, although cricket in Israel it's, it's a funny mix it's mm. played by some when it, it's played by Indians. some South Africans and Indians in in southern community which which communities that sometimes uh struggle economically. Yes. I I remember once you know I've I've always done my best in trying to do a bit of cricket, a bit of rugby mm-hmm. on the local level. I remember once in the 90s doing a, a wonderful story in Sderot of an immigrant from India that spent a monthly, a monthly salary to import his cricket kit, a, a bat and a bag and everything. <laughs> and he was so, so committed to it. I mean, there's that great movie called uh, Turn Left at the End of the World, which is about the Israeli cricket scene, sort of. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was interesting to see it even in an Israeli, uh, in an Israeli sense. Uh, and... I wonder if the British would have ruled us a bit longer. If they'd known that there could have been some there cricket. There could have been some cricket, some rugby, maybe. <laughs> well, well, rugby, I mean, that's the, that's the other thing. I mean, there, you know, you say Kibbutz Israel or, well, you know, there is a local, a local league that sort of operates. Yeah, there, there is a local league and a team. I'm a bit involved in, in, helping, uh, in, helping, the union, uh, in helping the union there. There's a professional team, actually, which is mostly South Africans that yeah. they... That they, that they bring over South Africans, Namibians, Fijians. They do very well in the European competition, but their struggle is to slowly get more Israelis into the team, and it's been a struggle. But they, they're getting there. Interesting. Too. Okay, so so you do you do cover sport, um, and and this is this is your beat. But you decide to come to South Africa, uh, and 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 it, was it a, was sport what brought you out this time? No, not at all. I, look, I also cover ever since I. Uh, moved to Hungary. I moved to Hungary from London actually in two thousand and seven. I do a lot of I do a lot of writing also about the Jewish world, Jewish community, especially in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, w- w- which are very uh, you know interesting uh, situation g- given what the, what they what they went through, but they are being rejuvenated. So this was kind of, you know, with the tragic events um, of October 7th and then the South Africa taking a side in, in The Hague, it was one of those cases of a very long shot. I just half-jokingly wrote to my editor on WhatsApp, hey, listen, I've got roots in South Africa. Why don't go out there to find why they're so against us? I send like 30 of these a week <laughs> suggesting to go to the Caribbeans, to Australia, every... Suddenly the reply came back. I, 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 I never deleted. Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're so, going to find out about if it was a good idea or not. Yeah. Well, we're talking to Renan Dorfman. He is... Dorfman. Dorfman. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, um, yes. He is from uh, Israel Hayom. And uh, we're talking about his trip to South Africa and what he found when he gets here. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. And we're talking to Ronen Dorfman here, Dorfman, uh, who uh, is a journalist from Israel, uh, carrying out here, uh, covering, uh, covering the Jewish community and uh, seeing 
uh, what what we uh, have to say for ourselves uh, and uh, what our country is all about. I mean, does it look very different from when you were here, even from the World Cup times, Ronan? Well, World Cup, uh, fortunately, I came a week before and left a week after. It doesn't look very different from the week after. Okay. The World Cup itself, I think because of general good feeling, heightened security, large number of tourists, um, general good goodwill, I mean, mm. you, you're talking of a very friendly population here. The World Cup itself, the place looked like a dream. A week later, it was a bit different. I remember doing a short story on some xenophobic riots against Zimbabweans outside of Soweto. So, so I saw the mood change. It doesn't look very different from the week after the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's good. I mean, at least uh, at least it's not that different from, from, from so was it 10 years ago now? 14, 14. 15 years, wow. 13 and a half. That's amazing. Okay, so, so, so it doesn't uh, look a bit different. Wh- where have you been on, on this particular your trip this time? Um, so far just to Joburg, uh, to, to, to Cape Town, a bit of the Cape, uh, inland. Uh, to, to farming areas and then down to Hermanus. It's only been a week, so mainly around uh, these areas. Uh, in Cape Town, I made a, a point of visiting uh, both South Africa's there <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to, to see what's going on the Cape, of course. Um, yeah, not, not real heavy. I did half a day in a safari somewhere. Okay, just to, okay. Just to get in the animals. So obviously the big sporting story... Uh, often as it is in South Africa, has nothing to do with sport. Uh, and that's the issue of, of David Tiga. It's the, I, I can't remember an under-19 World Cup getting so much attention in, a, in a, our, any other country. What, yeah. what is your, your reading of that? Because I, I, I take you have written something for William for, for this. Look, I, I'll tell you, when the, when the story broke out, th- the first thing I did was actually quickly, on a, on a point of, uh, of fact, defend South Africa because it was reported in an Israeli newspaper that he's been kicked off the team and I was quick to correct that he was only expelled as as captain uh, and then I got into it a bit and 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 I spoke to people uh, you know you know that that know it's behind the scene of course you can't speak to Tiga himself mm-hmm. and my take now on him that this is one of the most remarkable stands of a of a Jewish athlete in the history of uh, of, of of Jewish sport you know where i live uh, hungary has an illustrious history 55 jewish um, gold medal olympic winners hmm. so uh, probably even more than south africa in in that respect um, but always sort of in um, it's part of an assimilation movement Mm. It's part of being. It, it's this is a rare case, similar to to maybe to Sandy Koufax mm-hmm. uh, not playing on Yom Kippur in the World Series, but he was doing it in America of '65. That was already very good to the Jews. It was more. It was still very significant to a generation of Jews that were often forced to work Shabbat to keep their jobs. There was a similar case uh, in '38. Hank Greenberg uh, refused to play baseball in an important match, um, and this was at, uh, in Detroit in the time where anti-Semitism was running rampant. Uh, Henry Ford was in Detroit there, and Tiga, and this is really fast forward in time, um, was really uh, put under pressure 
They obviously wanted to solve it behind the, the scene that he will resign, or even that he will give them some token that he feels for both sides, that he didn't mean that it was out. I mean, you know, athletes these days, even billionaire athletes or millionaire athletes, get out of anything by just apologizing. doesn't reflect my, my, my values. Uh, Jordan Henderson was uh, campaigning for the gays in Britain, next day he's in Saudi Arabia, says he still believes what he believes. Tiga has not yet made his name in cricket. Is you know he's not yet a senior player. Cricket is not something you can go off and play professional without being an international. Running in with your international uh, union or federation, I'm not sure what they are, mm-hmm. um, can kill your career. And he took uh, and he and he wouldn't resign. And he made them. He actually made them fire him. And it's uh, extremely... Bra- I'm, uh, I'm full of admiration for this kid. I'm not necessarily... You know, if I would have... If, if I would have made that speech, maybe I would have mentioned the other side. I have, you know. But actually, he, he realized the essence of the thing. That, that um, he, was, he, was, he was asked to apologize or asked to resign because they, they don't want a Jewish kid that supports IDF soldiers. Mm-hmm. That they, they're not prepared for that. And he's um, extremely brave. And, and you know what? I, I don't even, I'm not even sure. So he played, uh, he, he played well in two of the matches, and he's, you know, he's obviously dealt with the pressure, which is another very difficult thing. You, you see athletes sometimes taking a stand on something, and then it's difficult to back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure it's over because, um, you know, if he's, if he's borderline selection in the future, they may decide it's, uh, he's not worth the, the hassle yeah. for them. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, but I agree with you. It is for a 19-year-old who also just, by the way, got seven distinctions in his matric. And it's, it was, it's very impressive because, as you say, he could very easily, and we've seen it all the time, people say, oh, okay, you know, but he hasn't done it. Yeah. It's, it's very admirable. He may have paid the his career. You know, you can liken it to someone like, I don't know how much it was followed in this country, yeah. the Colin Kaepernick uh, story. Sure, yeah. That took the knee. It's his political opinion, and he hasn't played <laughs> an American professional football game since for it. Tiga has taken that kind of risk. And much younger and less successful. Now, you spoke about um, the day after the World Cup. You've been here a few times. Often Israelis, even anyone from overseas, sometimes finds the the gaps in South African society jarring. I know you've spoken to some people outside of the community just on socioeconomic issues. Like, what, what what does that look like to you as someone who lives in Europe, comes from Israel, has has a background? I'll put Israel aside at the moment. I live in Europe because, because Israel is beginning to suffer from this. First of all, something which isn't even political. And even the people that, you know, um, people are not conscious here of showing wealth on the background of, of poverty. Like playing golf next to a, what's called an informal settlement in Cape Town and the golf course has a pond and the informal settlement has a tap for 25 families it's um, I asked and, and, I, and I spoke to someone and I won't mention his name because he was very kind to me actually from the DA party mm-hmm. how because he, he was claiming how well the, the Cape is run 
And the answer that they gave me was, I was talking about the poverty. He said, they have more rights than the landowners. That what, that what he saw in the illegal settlement, that it's illegal, or mm -hmm. it's not illegal, informal, right. that it's taken somebody's right for land. This won't end well if, people, if, if those people living there remain uh, invisible. I went into a place called Barcelona. I didn't stay long because I was afraid. Uh, and I'm very seldom afraid as a journalist. Um, and I tried to. Sp they don't. They haven't heard about the Hague, the ICJ. I just. I, I thought that would be the case. I just wanted to make sure because I'm a journalist and you have to do <laughs> your, your background. Job. Yeah. They absolutely have no idea of uh, of of of, the, of that thing. They hardly have an idea what Israel is. Um, so, so that was on 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 that side the political thing. But uh, the actual fact that. You know, Europe uh, has, of course, its faults, and as Jews, we know it more than most. But like Hungary is very rich and very flu. You don't flash off your your wealth in that way, in the in on the backdrop of of poverty. You know, you see one of the things because I, you know, I also still see the luxury that exists here, which was the same as I when I was here during apartheid. And the main thing that visibly changes in the eyes is, you know, the mansions still exist, everything else still exists except their long columns of people, 99% blacks, walking by the side of the roads. Where are they? Are they walking because they've got a job far away? Because they haven't got a job because they can't afford? If someone's cleaning your house, how can you let them walk, walk three kilometers to, to the, you know, drive them home? I, I don't know. It's just... Uh, so I know the reason is a kleptocratic government that is probably doing one of the worst jobs in the world, definitely in the democratic world. But, but, but still, there's something lack, lacking in, in the conscience of many people. Of course, many people are doing wonderful, wonderful work. But it's just, um, what can I tell you? It turns my, that, that story with the water turns my stomach. To go back to, you know, it turned my stomach as a soldier once when w there had to be a water shortage in a Palestinian city. I think it was Khan Yunus, but somewhere in the Gaza Strip. Just it had to be turned off for half a day because of some problem. And the Jewish communities uh, right by it that existed then were watering their lawns. You don't do this. It turned my stomach then. But here, it's the everyday situation. A community doesn't have water in every home, and the other community has golf courses next to it. I know. Now, tell me about what your experience is. You say you went into this place, Barcelona, uh, and, and I don't know anything about The Hague, Israel, but, but this thing occupies an enormous amount of the media in the discussion and seems to be completely not part of the, the sort of everyday discussion. Is that something that you... you well, there are places where it is part of the mm -hmm. discussion, but they're very specific. Mm -hmm. There's the corridors of power. I don't know them. I spoke to one very known, very uh, Terry Crawford Brown, very mm -hmm. known uh, BDS. Uh, I don't know if he belongs to them or he's a spokesman or just a supporter or a spiritual leader or whatever. Boke up in uh, in uh, Cape Town w was interesting. 
And by the way, I have some sympathy to them. They are Muslim communities. Muslims are killed in, in, uh, in big numbers. I saw all the graffitis on the wall to, their, to, their, uh, to, to defend them. I didn't see one swastika. I didn't see one Star of David, one atrocity. It's just full of free Gaza, free Palestine, peace, justice, how they, they see their thing. They care for their own people. In a way, that's more understood than some pathological hatred from a, uh, from a group of people that the Jews have not really done anything wrong to them. Mm -hmm. uh, I say it always about European anti-Semitism when I come across, and, and now it's often uh, you know, presented as anti-Zionism or anti-Israel. Muslim hatred is a consequence of war, and we'll have to deal with it one day. Uh, Christian anti-Semitism is a mental disease. It's, it's a consequence of nothing. We've done nothing. Well, let, let's talk about that, because the, the Hungarian community is very interesting. From what I understand of Hungarian Jewry, it's, it's quite, and it's not a small community. It's 100,000, 150,000, something like that. Well, it's a vague community. Mm. If, you, if you ask people, have you, have you, uh, if you ask the whole Budapest population, have you participated in uh, any, any Jewish event, even gone once to synagogue or to an Israeli book night or whatever, if not more than 15,000 would say yes. If you ask people, are you Jewish, 80,000 would say yes. It doesn't mean the crazy Litvak rabbis of South Africa would agree with the answer, but people mm. see that as their main identity or religious identity. If you ask people, have you got a Jew in your family, as much as 300,000 in a city of 2 million will say, well, okay. will say yes. yes. So there's... So there, there is a Jewishness, but it's not very active or, or organized. It hasn't. No, it's In nothing close. Uh, because of the because of communism and the the Iron Curtain and Soviet pressure, or other just assimilation. Well, there was something before communism, even worse. I right. don't want to get into that. Fair enough. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yes, I've I've done a lot of stories on a fascinating uh, phenomena including very famous people, people that found out that they were Jewish, told by their parents when they're 18, when they're 25, on their parents' deathbed. <laughs> no, no, a wide, sure. wide uh, spread phenomena. This is, this is more a result of communism yes. uh, than of Nazism that uh, preceded it. Nazism changed the Hungarian Jewish community Demographically, in a, you could say in broad terms, before the Holocaust, half the population was in Budapest and in some other sophisticated cities and was similar to the German assimilated many prize winners scientists. And half of it was living uh, more than half a shtetl life, very similar to Poland. Mm -hmm. The way the war transpired tactically. Um, the countryside was destroyed to the last person. Maybe 3-2% survived. Hmm. And um, as a result, uh, the Budapest Jewish community, from being something which is like halfway between Poland and Germany, became yeah, very right, Germany in, in that respect. And, and how does the community react? I mean, Hungary is kind of seen for, as the bad boy of Europe in, in some respects, uh, even more so now than Poland. Uh, so is there is there that sensor that people are uncomfortable? Well, oh, 
people are naturally uncomfortable, allergic even, to any right-wing nationalistic movement. Mm -hmm. But Orban, when he came into power, uh, maybe tactically, but there's also a religious element, a personal religious element to him, mm -hmm. um, has made a point of becoming Israel's biggest supporter in, in, in Europe. Yes. Um, Israelis love Hungary. They visited it. It's, at, at one point, they were the most... Uh, I have a... Um, the, the ambassador there is my friend. He told me, he got a report that at one point in time, the most tourists in Hungary, absolute numbers, were Israeli. Sure. Okay. Um, there are six flights a day. Uh, it's cheap, it's nice. Um, it doesn't have a Muslim community. It has, I think, 6,000 registered Muslims, and most of them are as people like medical students from India or Africa, actually a very positive community. Maybe a restaurant. There, there is no Arab community. Mm -hmm. If there's a Muslim community, it's from the subcontinent or Africa or Turkey, but not more than that. So uh, as far as safety... It's not on the same scale of what uh, France is. Yes. There isn't any safety issue for, for Jews in Hungary. But there is um, so another kind of tone between a government that on the face, the traditional within Hungarian politics, they would never support um, to a government that's very, and, and also supportive to them as a community. They spend money on renovating synagogues in places where a Jew hasn't been for 25 years. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and they, they, they really make a point of, of, of doing this. Um, so <laughs> the community, you could say, is a bit uh, torn, torn politically, but it's not uh, torn in, a, in the end it gives them, in the end it gives them comfort. Uh, they're not suffering the... Um, the consequences of October 7 like uh, like Jews in Britain and in France. Absolutely. To, to run end off, and he is a journalist from Israel covering what is going on in South Africa. You listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. Right, yes. Uh, we were chatting uh, just there as we, we, we cut away um, to run end off, and he is from uh, he is from Israel Hayom, uh, and uh, yeah. Th what were some of the, the some of the other points that you picked up whilst you? Yeah, you, well, yeah. one thing I pointed, which is maybe a criticism of you know, uh, I think the organization that has this radio station <laughs> or that you belong to, from actually supporters of Israel, is that uh, Jews are sort of uh, Jewish communities and organizations are sort of hiding a lot of their support. Uh, that they're giving the community here. I was told by a fellow that is uh, protecting Israel or working for it, uh, um, a black fellow at this university, mm -hmm. that they are kids uh, demonstrating river to the sea who are on a Jewish scholarship and don't know it. Right. Or getting a food parcel which isn't marked. Now, I know uh, Matan Basetter is a very great and wonderful uh, Jewish value. But also finding a fine line is, uh, is, is, is a thing. You know, there's a water crisis all over the country. Karen Kayemet are doing jobs here. I don't know how much that's known to the population at, at large. And uh, 
that's something actually people doing this have, have asked me to speak about it where I can so I care about the show so I can <laughs> so I brought it out I, I won't say that, that that I felt very strongly about it but I think it's you know a voice that should be that should be heard well I think it's an interesting point and I think it is an interesting question because as you say uh, Jews uh, tend to do this in the dark by by instinct almost uh, and there maybe is a sense in which we need to think about how we tell other people that we're trying to look after them especially if they're likely to turn on us if they if they know the difference uh, yes another thing um, which on the Israeli side there's a totally I didn't have it but there's a totally false feeling that the South African Jewish communities is in its kind of final days because the government will turn of them and they'll run away like uh, Germany in 1933. They don't know how. Uh, the, the Rabbi Goldstein told me that there are 40 building projects gone on. I had a wonderful evening. I went to synagogue in Hermanus on Friday night. Mm -hmm. I just stopped there randomly. And uh, there were kids from the Aboni Madrichim camp there, which... It chilled me because my parents met on the Borima <laughs> camp in 1957. Maybe it was still Pnezi on there. The no, no, it probably would have been a Borima. Would have been about him. They definitely were head of camp for a Borim. Uh, my mom was from PE and my father from uh, the old Transvaal from Kinras. I think mm -hmm. it still falls in Hoteng of today. Uh, so people in Israel just, and they don't, something they miss also about Hungary a bit. They find it difficult to understand how how many Jews can love their other country, really love it, feel committee, want to change it. In the wake of uh, of a antipathic or anti-Semitic government, that's something that's totally missed sometimes in Israel. You know, I'll try to educate people about it. We'll see. So, in terms of educating people, I mean, you, do you write exclusively in Hebrew? You don't write in English. Yes, some of the stuff they translate that I hate it. They don't do it. Much. <laughs> so if people uh, can read Hebrew and... Uh, Israel Hayom, uh, which is israelhayom.co.il. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, that, that, that's where sometimes if, if they want to look me up on... Sometimes I'll, maybe I'll translate this article on my Facebook page and, that's Ron Endorf and just find it there isn't another one <laughs> <laughs> well Ronen thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show today it's been absolutely fascinating uh, and how long how much longer are you here for supposed to fly out tomorrow night but I've already delayed it by three days <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm very bad at ending uh, road trips it's minus five in Budapest last week fair enough I, I can see um, the argument I can I, I see that there are still journalistic <laughs> issues that have to be researched in a more serious way oh, well uh, we, we, we wish you luck with that and uh, you feel free to stay in our community as long as uh, as long as you like <laughs> okay thank you it was my pleasure there we go. That's uh, Ronin Dorfer. And go check it out uh, if you are a Hebrew speaker uh, and reader or, or even just a, a Google translator uh, on the Internet and have a look and see. Uh, I believe his piece on, on David Teager is already up, so you can have a look at that. Now, the Discam Wellness Clinic for Adults offers convenient and professional care to help you manage health risks. Whether you're having regular wellness checks, such as blood pressure uh, or cholesterol, Discam Wellness Clinics offers you a broad range of health screening services, including female health screening with pap smears, family planning, and pregnancy screening. Fast, affordable, and with care, find your nearest uh, Discam Wellness Clinic inside. Discam Pharmacies, better health, 
starts here. I am Benji Shulman, uh, and this is 101.9 High FM. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, that was a fascinating discussion. We're still going to be uh, talking uh, a little bit and we're just giving a bit of an assessment on where this thing is going with the ICJ and The Hague uh, because uh, there was some interesting stuff on in the Sunday Times and we need to assess and think about a community uh, where that's going. So we're going to be chatting about that and thinking through it, maybe even touching on LL. I don't know if you knew, but LL was actually started in our community and it's kind of an interesting thing about it uh, cancelling flights last week so we're going to cover that a little bit uh, but uh, we're going to take a break uh, and uh, we'll be back just after this I'm Veggie Shulman this is 101.9 High FM